Father, I'm asking that your people would hear your voice today and not mine. I'm asking that your word would change us, shape us, mold us like only you can do. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated in the presence of the Lord. So we've been talking about keys that we can pick up in challenging times. And I want to give you a few keys this morning. And, and we've been stuck in a story, the story of David and Goliath. And if you've, if you've been to New Heights Church for any length of time, you know, I, I, I do some serious teaching, but it's more like a topical teaching. I may get stuck on something and it, it, we may be months on a topic because I really want to try to squeeze out all the gold we can from an area and put as many tools in your toolbox spiritually as we can. Uh, but we've been stuck in the, the story of David and Goliath. If you know the story of David and Goliath, David was a young shepherd boy that fought a great giant champion, and he defeated the great giant champion with a sling and a stone. Everybody say, David. David. Yay. Yeah. Everybody say, Goliath. Goliath. Boo. Boo. So that's pretty much the good team and the bad team in the stories. David's the good guy and Goliath is the bad guy. And over the last several weeks, we've kind of walked through what that battleground looked like. And even this past week, we talked about the, the fact that David killed Goliath. And, and one of the things, one of the biggest keys that we took is that your adversary will bring you the weapon you can use for your future battles. David actually picked up Goliath's sword after he had killed him, and then later on in his life, he would use that same sword to defend himself. Your adversary is bringing you your future weapons. But what I want to do today is just for a few minutes, I want to give you the prequel to what's going on here. If you've ever seen a movie, sometimes there's some great movies that have some great sequels, and then there's other movies that they they bring out another movie in the same chain, but the timing of it is spaced prior to the movie you've already seen. They call it a prequel. So I want to give you what brought David to this place. What took place that took him to a place where a young boy felt like he was the one that ought to be fighting a giant. So grab your Bible and open it up to 1 Samuel chapter number 16. And I'm going to read verse number four. The scripture said, well, let me give you a little background too. Okay. Samuel was a prophet. Everybody say Samuel. So this guy was a prophet, okay? And he's the one that anointed Saul to be the current king. But Saul stopped listening to God. So God told Samuel, I need you to go anoint somebody else to be king. And I want you to go to a guy named Jesse's house. So the Bible says that uh, Samuel gathers himself together and begins to go towards Jesse's house. And this is where we pick up. And Samuel did, which the Lord said, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and says... Comest thou peacefully, or are you coming peacefully, Samuel? Number one, I know it's early in the message, but I want to give you a key right now. You should write down. The reality of your situation is this. Never respect anything else more than you respect God. The, the, the prophet Samuel, he spoke what God told him to say. So we could put kind of as a subtext, never respect anything else more than you respect the word of God. The word of God is correct and something else might be correct. But if you respect something else more than God, let let me just give you a couple of examples. We're not going to be dumb and we're not going to 
refuse to be wise, but we're not going to give more respect to a virus than we are going to give respect to our God. We do not hold sickness at this level and God at this level. We know that God is the God that healeth thee. We're not going to hold. I'm going to give you some other ones. And, and you guys watching online, I'm going to need some amens in the comments because I'm not sure if I'm going to get a single amen in the, in the house when I say what I'm about to say. I just want y'all to know. Do not respect your job more than you respect your God. If they start threatening layoffs, you start declaring what God said, that he will supply your needs according to his riches in glory. Do not hold your job at a level and a layer higher than God. We still do our work as unto the Lord. Christians ought to be the best worker on the job site, but we are not respecting our income or our job, or if we're a business owner, our business, our project, our investments, we are not respecting that more than we respect God. Do not respect your alma mater more than you respect God. I told you, starts to get quiet in here. Do not respect a club, a membership, a scholastic society that you're a part of, a political party more than you respect God. So the elders in Bethlehem were looking and they see Samuel coming and they had so much respect for God that they said, oh man, man of God, do you come with good news or bad news? Because God is the alpha and the omega. If he says it, that's the way it is. That settles it. Do you come peacefully? And Samuel said, I come peacefully. He said, whoo, thank goodness. Do not respect. So. Definition of respect, to give a heightened level of attention or honor to. Do not give more respect to your critics than you do your God. Do not give more respect to your critics than you do your God. It matters nothing in eternity what your critics say about you. But it matters everything in eternity what your God says about you. Do not respect your critics more than you respect your God. Do not respect what somebody's going to say about you more than you respect your God. I'm just going to go for it, Jake. Do not respect the world's idea of right and wrong more than you respect God's idea of right and wrong. Nobody's angry at anybody. Nobody's trying to throw anybody in hell. But if God says it, that is correct in our book. And that is the book that we follow. So we respect God above everything else. Do not allow your family to break down because you have respected hobbies and extracurricular activities more than you respect God. You put them at this level and you listen to me. You know a tree by its fruit. 
You don't know a tree by the inside of its trunk. You know a tree by what you can see on the outside. I know it's been a challenging time, pandemic and all that. We can't have everybody in the sanctuary. I get it. But if you sign on to take your offspring, your children away from the house of God week after week after week after week, but then try to tell your kids that the house of God is your priority, your fruit says otherwise. Don't respect these things and don't put it like, oh, but if they do this, they can get a scholarship. Well, maybe God will give you an idea and you won't have to worry about scholarship. You just pay for the doggone thing. Wouldn't that be nice? Instead of constantly worrying about how to get how to get money from somebody else, you're just sitting there worrying about how God's going to get the money to you. Don't let the, 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 there's nothing wrong with going after a scholarship or otherwise, but don't let these things take the place of worshiping God, of giving God the first morning of the first day of the week, which is the culture of Christianity. You say, well, God is everywhere. Absolutely. But he also says, don't forsake the gathering together, which is the manner of some. This is what we are called to do as believers because once a week we get together and we get re-energized and we get rebuilt up and we get re-edified and we get ourselves built up on our holy faith. We've been having to do it online and I'm thankful for that. There'll be a lot of that that continues, I know, because many people have begun to watch from different places, even other countries. So all these things are, are, are a part of being a Christian, but you cannot Respect something else more than you respect God and then act like you're going to get God results in that area. So you have to make some decisions and those decisions will be unpopular, at which point you go back to the other subtext of don't respect critics more than you respect God. Because the minute you have a critic, now you know you're doing something. I love the testimonies that come in. We have, we have uh, members of our team have all of our social media accounts, including mine. And, and so they let me know when, when, uh, when testimonies come in because I really feed off those testimonies. I love hearing what God is doing. And sometimes life is very different. And it's been very different for the church around the world as we've had to do things online more than we have. But just this past week, we were, I was up here teaching and God gave me a word and I saw this picture of this woman bawling on her couch and I just called it out and spoke to her, said, God, you know, kind of gave a little word and, and all of a sudden, uh, she sends in a message to the church. So that was exactly for me. What I'm trying to tell you is you don't respect something more than you respect God and God will use you in any situation. Whether it's through a camera, whether it's one-on-one, come on, whether it's at a grocery store, whether it's at a, you know, at, at Target, whether it's at Taco Bell. Well, God can't work in Taco Bell. Never mind. That's a joke. He can work everywhere. But we don't put anything above God. Nothing. We don't, we don't put anything above the things of God. And then we begin to see God results. They, they looked, they said, do you come peacefully? Because whatever you say, man of God, that's what I believe is going to happen. Because when you and me get that serious about the word of God, now all of a sudden God looks and he goes, there's somebody I can use because they're not putting the economy above me. They're not putting the political party above me. They're not putting their favorite news anchor above me. They're not putting their favorite uh, music genre 
genre above me. They're not putting all these other things. They're not putting their job above me, their business above me. They're not putting all these other things above me. They've decided that they're going to respect. They're going to pay more attention to. In other words, our God is more dangerous than the devil is on his worst day. I'm not scared of the devil or anything else he could do. I have, I have total respect for wisdom. We do everything we can to be wise. We love and honor doctors and we send everybody to the best doctors and all of that. But I do not have more respect for cancer than I do my God. I believe cancer is under the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we apply the blood of Jesus Christ, he is the God that healeth thee. So it's a, it's a completely different shift when you just decide what you're going to respect. What takes that highest level? It's like if you were in a cage and and and, and on one side there's like a there's like a, a, a humongous lion that's trying to get you, and then on the other side of the cage there's like a little tiny chihuahua. You better respect that lion more than you respect that chihuahua. Worst things that happens with the chihuahuas, you get some Taco Bell. But that lion may eat you. So you, you respect more the thing that has the most power and authority. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God's going to raise up a standard against him. I got more respect for God. The Bible says the devil goes about like a roaring lion, but King Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. There was a cataclysmic warfare in heaven when the devil decided to rebel against God and it took all of a split second. The Bible says like lightning from the sky, he was flung. God is not intimidated by the devil and you ought not be intimidated either. See, there's a shift when you start putting the respect where it needs to go. Here, I'll give you just one more thing that I'm going to move on. You got to get to the place where you're not respecting your problem more than you're respecting the problem solver. How much time are you talking about the problem and how much time are you talking about the fact that God's making a way where there was no way? It takes a repenting, a metanoia, a changing of your mind that says, I am not going to spend the rest of my life talking about what the devil's going to try to do to me. I'm going to spend the rest of my life talking about what Jesus already did to the devil. When he said it is finished, he meant it. I'm not taking that power away by honoring the devil, by respecting the devil more than I respect the things of God. The moment you got a problem is the moment for you to apply the word of God to it. The moment you find yourself in a pickle is the moment you find yourself a scripture. And when you get that scripture, you stand on it and you don't move. Because we do not respect the adversary more than we respect our God. Come on, give God a big hand of praise right here in the house. All right, so Samuel comes to Jesse's house, and when he gets to Jesse's house, something happens, okay? He, he says, Jesse, can you bring me your sons? One of them is going to be king. Now, Jesse's probably pretty excited about that. You would imagine there's some perks for your son to being king. So he has eight sons. He brings seven of them in front of Samuel, and one of them is left out in the field tending the sheep. And so Samuel walks in front of each one of the boys. And this is where, this is where we pick up in the story. He goes by and he's like, not the king, not the king, not the king. And he goes by all seven of them. And then he's kind of perplexed because he had asked Samuel to bring, he had asked Jesse to bring all his sons, but he'd only brought, he'd only brought seven of them. Verse 11 says this, Samuel said to Jesse, is this all your children? 
And he says, there remains yet the youngest and behold, he keeps the sheep. Somebody say the sheep. Very important to understand that. Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sat and brought him in and he was ruddy or red and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look at. Basically what the Lord's saying is all preachers are handsome. So this young boy, he's, he's red, either complexion or red hair, and he's, he's a handsome young man. And the Lord says, arise and anoint him for this is he. All right, here we go. Here's number two. Your critics cannot stop the oil on your life. Matter of fact, even if you don't get invited to your own party, see, David was going to get anointed that day and he wasn't even invited to the service. He was out tending the sheep. Somebody say the sheep. He was out tending the sheep. And then Samuel says, hold the phone here, guys. You didn't invite the one. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're all going to stand up until that boy gets here. In other words, God's going to make your critics watch you get blessed. God's going to make those who say the nastiest things about you watch how blessed you're going to be. God's going to cause those that lie about you to watch you get blessed. Some will follow God. Others, I hate to say this to you, they'll just lie more. And they'll justify that you must have done something underhanded to be able to access or to be walking in that. And they will try to say anything that will make them feel better about the fact that they are not living that kind of a blessed life. And they'll make a thousand excuses. This is not about them. This is about you. This is about you recognizing that even if you don't get invited to your own anointing service, your critics can't stop the oil on your life. There's nothing they can do to stop the oil from flowing in your life. The Bible says that all seven of those boys were in front of Samuel and all seven of those boys, the oil didn't move. But as soon as the right young man got there, then all of a sudden, boom, it began to flow. I could just imagine when Jesse told Samuel, well, I do have one more, but he's out tending sheep. See, when you tend sheep for a man who is a sheep herder, you are about your father's business. David was about his father's business. And now God knew that's somebody that I can use. So the scripture says that he pours the oil on him. And when he pours the oil on him, he is told, it's said that he's going to be the next king of Israel. Now fast forward just a little bit because what happens is, is there comes a Philistine named Goliath. Everybody say Goliath. Everybody say boo. So he comes out and he's standing in this battle and he's railing against the people of Israel. He's cursing the God of Israel. And the oldest three sons of Jesse go to fight the battle. But David, the Bible says, was not called out to the battle initially, probably because they considered him to be too young. So the Goliath, uh, the Philistine Goliath is standing in the valley. He's yelling at the armies of Israel. He's been doing it for 40 days. And, and all of a sudden, the Bible says in, in 1 Samuel 17 and 15, that David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Somebody say sheep. sheep. All right. So he now, David, in the middle of all this, he's going to Saul, the king. Now he knows he's supposed to be the next king, but he's going and playing guitar for the, the current king. 
And when he's not playing guitar for the current king, now this is the next king of Israel, royal bloodline in his DNA, and he leaves the king to go feed his daddy's sheep. And then when he's done feeding his daddy's sheep, you know what he does? Go serves king. And when he's done serving the king, you know what he does? He goes and feeds his daddy's sheep. Now, this is the boy who in front of his brothers was told, you're the next king. Can I just say this? And this is, this is something that, that I, I really think if you're a believer and you've been a believer for any amount of time, you got to get this revelation down in your spirit. Just because you know your future or a fragment of your future does not excuse you from your present Just because you know there's some oil on your life that's going to take you to do a thing or it's going to put you in some kind of a pedestal or anything like that, it does not excuse you from the the current life that you are currently in. And the Bible says that David would go and play for the king and then he would go feed his dad's sheep and play for the king and go and feed his daddy's sheep. And when he came back to feed his daddy's sheep one time, the scripture says the Philistine drew near morning and evening, verse 16, and presented himself 40 days. Everybody say 40. 40. All right. 40 is interesting in the Bible. A lot of times it represents a generation, but almost exclusively it represents a time of testing of uh, borderline purification, but almost without exception, it also represents probation. And probation is a time of testing or a proving time that has an end point. If somebody is a criminal and they go on probation in the state of Texas, you are on probation for two years or three years or four years or six months or whatever it is. There is an amount of time that you will be tested, that you will prove that you in fact can do what you said you can do. Your testing that you go through always has an end point. God is not going to let it go indefinitely. The devil will pay for what he tries to do to you. The devil will pay for every minute that prodigal son or daughter has not been home. The devil will pay for every dollar he stole from your family that you would have fed your children, blessed your children, fed widows and orphans, tithed and offered into the house of God, the devil will pay that back minimum sevenfold. Because it is a shift when you begin to recognize, I might be going through a thing, but God does not allow his people to go through trials and testings without a known end point. For 40 days, the giant came and screamed and railed. And whenever he was screaming and railing, he was cursing God. And Jesse said unto David, his son, take now for your brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these 10 loaves. In other words, uh, 10 loaves. And he said, run to the camp to your brethren. So Jesse tells David. Now think about this. Jesse tells King David, I'm going to need you to deliver lunch. And David didn't say, uh, dad, you saw the prophet. I think they should be feeding me. (laughs) Because even though he knew some of his future, it didn't excuse him from his present. So the scripture says that, uh, David, uh, that David's dad told him, I want you to take some corn and I want you to take some bread, take it to your brothers. And I want you to carry these 10 uh, cheeses under the captain of their thousand. In other words, he was teaching them how to honor those in authority. And he said, look how they brethren and, and let me know how your brothers are doing. 
and take their pledge. In other words, bring back to me word that they're doing well. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep. Somebody say the sheep. David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. Number three, this is maybe one of the most easiest, but probably the most impactful keys you can pick up in challenging times. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Don't ever stop serving God. Remove from the table of your life what would stop you from serving God. Whatever you refuse to address and determine will stop you from serving God, the devil will bring you every Tuesday like it's his job. But if you got nothing on the table that says, if, 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 if instead of all the reasons you would stop serving God, all the reasons you would stop serving the house of God, all the reasons you would stop praying for people, all the reasons you would stop loving people for Christ, all the reasons I, I, you know, I'm not offended about that, but I'm going to be offended about this. All the reasons you would stop tithing and offering all the reasons you would stop serving uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, all the reasons you would stop forgiving people. If you removed all that from the table and just put on the table, a statement like this, that said, though he slay me, yet will I I serve him. Death is not a threat to me. I'm going to a place called heaven. And then after that, I'm coming back here to a new earth. And we're going to rule and reign with our king. And it's going to be awesome. Death is not a threat to a believer. Death is a promise of glory. So the minute you decide I'm going to be faithful period, chapter, end of book, close it. Now, all of a sudden, you are a head scratcher for the devil. He doesn't know what to say or do to you. And he'll start trying some wild stuff. Somebody really close to you will say something about you. That's not true. And you'll have an opportunity to be venomous and to sound all holy about it. Can you believe that? All I want to do is rush right. And they're saying this and that all... How different would the Bible have been if that's how Jesus talked? Like 90% of the people hated him. Or at least we see a lot of that in the Bible over and over and over again. Oh, he's this, he's that. Uh. Could you imagine? But if you decide to stay faithful. See, when we met David, he was tending his father's sheep. When he was told to go work for favor and bring his brothers some lunch. He was tending his father's sheep. And when his dad told him to take the lunch to his brothers, he made sure the sheep were looked after. Because Matthew 23, 23 says, whatever you're supposed to do doesn't give you the right to leave something else you should do undone. You stay Faithful. Somebody say faithful. You stay faithful. Faithful looks different in different times. And in 2020, it's been very challenging. What faithfulness looked like. For a while, we were just joining online. Many of you had to learn what online even meant. 
but you stayed faithful. And when you stay faithful in challenging times, you find out how faithful your God is. Because I believe it was David being about his father's business that caused him to stand out in the first place. I believe it was the fact that he refused to get offended. Did you know whenever he comes to his brothers and he starts talking to them about fighting the giant, one of the brothers actually says, who's even tending the sheep? He had already taken care of it because because I'm doing this thing doesn't mean that I don't have a responsibility doing this thing. I'm going to be faithful. And in challenging times, when you decide to stay faithful, well, let's just say this. Your faithfulness dictates what you get to keep. See, you can have the oil and lose it. But your faithfulness determines whether you keep it. Husbands and wives, you think I'm joking? Be unfaithful. See how quick you lose it. Like that. But if you decide going in, I'm going to be faithful. Everything else might burn, burn to the ground around me. But I'll be married to the same woman as long as I live. It might even mean changing a profession. It could mean changing anything. But when you take everything off the table that would stop you from being faithful, now all of a sudden the only thing left is faithful. I'm just going to be faithful. I'm just going to serve God. Well, what if it doesn't work? I'm sorry, that's impossible. Because God work, God's word never returns void. It doesn't go out and not accomplish what he said it would accomplish. The only question is, can we stay faithful? And faithfulness and fearfulness are divergent. You cannot move in faith and fear at the same time. You can be feeling fear and still be moving in faith. But you cannot gravitate towards fear and faith. Fear is faith that something bad will happen. Faith is, even if it does, he's still my king. Well, what happens if it doesn't work out? First off, I'd say that's impossible. Secondly, I'd say, where would I go? Who has loved you like Jesus has loved you? Who has forgiven you? You know, I think faithfulness and when I was with the Lord this morning, it was really, he was speaking to me about just kind of his nature as a father. And I was, I was, I was looking at it because, you know, I have kids and I don't ever want my kids to fail or not accomplish anything, but them failing, it doesn't make me love them less. But when they try again, it brings me so much joy. Like, like Jake, he's got a son, Ezekiel Malachi. He's three years old. We call him Zeke. And he's learning to ride a bicycle. And, and every time he puts his foot down, Jake doesn't like scold him. What's wrong if you put your foot down? Uh, don't you know how to ride a bike? No. Every time he puts his foot down, Jake is a good father. He's encouraging him to try again. See, this is what your father does, and that's what faithfulness looks like in the kingdom. There's only one perfect. His name's Jesus. He's the example. But for you and for me, to follow the example is when we miss the mark, don't stay down. Because the same way that me as a father, I love seeing my kids say, I'm going to try again, Dad. 
That's what motivates your father in heaven. I don't care how many times you've returned back to that folly or that sin. You get up one more time and you try again. Because the blood of Jesus is your safety net. God is not trying to dangle you over hell. What he is saying, though, is, come on, get up one more time. The righteous may fall seven times, but people like you, son, people like you, daughter, you get back up. And that's what motivates our father. And that's what causes him to watch. And that's what causes him. Do you remember when Stephen was stoned in the Bible? The Bible says Jesus stood up to watch it happen. Because in the moment when Stephen should have said anything hard to them, he said, Dad, just like Jesus said, I want you to forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. And Jesus stood up ready to usher Stephen into that great reward. Can you imagine? What it's like when faithfulness is the only option on your table. I'm not backing off. I'm not moving. Oh, I might get knocked down, but I'm not staying down. I may get hit, but I will hit you back. (laughs) Some of y'all got a wild look in your eye when I said that. I was talking spiritually. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Some of y'all, I saw it. I was like, y'all heard the preacher. We got a couple stops to make on the way home from church today. You heard the man. I can hit back. That's not what I'm saying. Spiritually, when faithfulness is the standard, 